So your boss calls you into the office and he has some critique of your job performance and it's not very good. He, he actually is uh, critical of some of the things that you've been doing. You have not been doing your job very effectively and he points out some specific things that you have done wrong and your response to him is, well, I'm not perfect. Here's another scenario. Uh, you husbands, your wife criticizes something about maybe the way you've been keeping up the lawn. You know, the grass hasn't been mowed frequently and uh, the bushes are out of control and, and the weeds have taken over the garden. And, and so she says something about that and your response is, well, nobody's perfect. Right? Or you students on the job, you're, or excuse me, you students at, at school and I hate to bring that up, you know, the idea of school starting again, but school's starting again, and so at school, uh, the teacher gives you a bad grade on an assignment that you were supposed to turn in, and and so you're kind of singing the blues, uh, and you say, she just expects everyone to be perfect, right? How are we using the word perfect there, and, and what do those expressions mean when nobody's perfect? She expects me to be perfect, I'm not perfect. Actually, that's a, a very common excuse that we use, isn't it? We try to excuse ourselves for not doing maybe as good as we could do by saying, nobody's perfect. It's an excuse for poor performance. Now, maybe at work, uh, at home, or at school, we use that excuse. I think there's a big danger that we might try to use th- that excuse when it comes to spiritual things. To say something like, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You can't expect me to be perfect. Did you know that, in fact, you are expected to be perfect? In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the first principles of the doctrine of Christ, notice, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, and so on the Hebrew writer goes. He says we are supposed to move on to perfection. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. We're supposed to be perfect. When you say, well, nobody's perfect, or you can't expect me to be perfect, the Scriptures actually say we are supposed to be perfect. And so we want to think about that in our lesson this morning. We want to talk about being perfect Christians and what that means. What is the correct understanding of the idea of being perfect in Christ? Stop here to thank you for your presence this morning. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Appreciate your interest in serving God and doing His will, worshiping Him, giving honor and glory to Him. That's what this is all about. Uh, We enjoy lots of aspects of our coming together. We enjoy seeing one another and visiting with one another. But ultimately, what we're really here to do is bring honor and glory to God. And we pray that that will be accomplished this morning as we meet together for worship. We need to all join in. It needs to be worship in spirit and in truth. So we'll try to do the right things, but we've got to do them with the right heart. Uh, let's all seriously concentrate on worshiping God to bring honor and glory to Him this morning. Thank you for being here and thanks to all who are visiting with us today. Please come back whenever you can. What about this idea of being perfect Christians? Well, I want to stress, just as we begin this discussion this morning, that we are not talking about sinless perfection. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that's not just describing our situation before we became Christians. 
We know that even after we become Christians, we also continue to sin from time to time. And so when we talk about being a perfect Christian, we're not talking about the fact that we attain unto sinless perfection. Rather, the word perfect, as is translated in our text, literally means the idea of being mature or complete or full grown. And I actually think that in some of these texts it would help our modern day understanding if instead of saying we are to go on into perfection, it would suggest the idea of maturity. We ought to go on to maturity. When we have little children born into our family, precious little babies, we love to hold them and rock them and cuddle them. But if that baby never grew, if that baby never matured physically, we would be alarmed. Uh, and we'd be doing everything in our power to find out what's wrong and what can be done to correct that situation. We understand that human beings are supposed to mature physically. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. As Christians, we're supposed to mature or grow up in the faith. But sadly, though we would be concerned about a physical baby that didn't grow, sometimes it doesn't seem like we pay much attention when as Christians we see people or even see ourselves not growing and maturing like we ought to grow. And so this morning we want to talk about this process of maturing in Christ. And what are some of the indications that a person is becoming more mature? What are some of the signs of maturity? Well, first of all, I want to suggest to you that the mature Christian is one who is able to know and properly apply God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 6, we just read that expression, let us go on unto perfection. But I want you to notice that, of course, this is the first verse of Hebrews 6, but it starts with the word, therefore. And that would tell you that that's linking back to the verses that went ahead of that, right? So often we point out the fact that the people who ever made the arbitrary decision of where to put chapter and verse divisions, sometimes put them right in the middle of a thought. And it seems like they did that here when they divided chapter 5 from chapter 6, chapter 6 is not starting a new thought, it's continuing the thought, and we know that by virtue of this sort of connecting word, therefore. Therefore, let us go on into perfection. What had he just described? We'll back up, and we go back to the reading that Lee did for us just a few moments ago. In chapter 5, at verse 11, he says, "...of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing." For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is, notice, a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. So that's the contrast. Uh, he says, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so... The contrast in this, uh, here in this text is between those who are spiritually immature and those who are of full age, right? Okay, now that being the case then, uh, what are some of the characteristics of those who are still babes, who have not matured? Well, he says, you've reached the point in time when you ought to be able to go out and teach other people. But he says the fact of the matter is you need to be taught again the very first principles of the oracles of God. You still need milk. You're not able to handle the meat of the Word. And so what he's really uh, admonishing them about in 
in this section is that they had not become knowledgeable uh, in the ways of God, in the truth that God had revealed to mankind. They were still babes. They weren't knowledgeable. And so what that tells you is the, the, the person of full age would be knowledgeable, but the babe needs to be taught again the very first principles. Well, where are we in that? Have we attained into spiritual maturity by, by virtue of this one indicator? This is just one indicator, but one indicator is that the mature Christian knows the Word of God, is knowledgeable of the truth that God has revealed to us. Are we knowledgeable or not? Are we able to tell people about what we believe and why we believe it? We've commented a number of times recently about the fact that I think members of the Church of Christ have sort of lost the reputation they used to have in the religious world as being very good Bible students. Uh, years ago, uh, Christians had that reputation. I'm not sure it's so much deserved today uh, in general. I'm not talking about any of any specific congregation uh, uh, individually, but in regards to uh, our, our brother, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ across the board, I don't think that we necessarily deserve the reputation of being great students of the Word. I think that there would be a number of Christians who would be hard-pressed, and there have been indicators of this, by the way, Christians hard-pressed to be able to say, what's wrong with instrumental music? Can you give that answer? If someone, you know, just recently I was talking to an individual, and when he, uh, I mentioned that I was a member of the College View Church of Christ, he said, oh, you're the ones that don't believe in music. No, I said, we believe in music, just don't believe in instrumental music. Didn't have a chance to go into that in any more detail with him, but... Could we explain why we don't use instrumental music? We know we don't, but do we know why? Can we explain why? Can we make the Bible argument for that? Or can we explain why we oppose what we have called liberalism or institutionalism? A lot of churches of Christ are involved in activities that we would put under the banner of institutionalism, and we've opposed that. Do you know why? Could you explain, if you had a chance to talk with some of those people in those congregations, why we differ with them and why we oppose some of the things that they're engaged in? Could you, as a Christian, explain to someone the very simple gospel plan of salvation? Could you tell someone what they need to do in order to be saved? We need to be able to do that. I hope we are. You know, we spent a lot of time last year in memory verses, and some of those memory verses that we used were verses... Uh, relative to the plan of salvation and so forth. Which one would describe us? Are we still babes who need to be taught again the first principles? Or are we of people of full age who are able to take the strong meat of the Word? Which are we? Have we moved on? Are we maturing in Christ? There's something else, though, in this text. It's not only the knowing of these things. It's not only just the knowledge but it's the putting into practice of them. Notice that last phrase there. Those, those of full age are those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. A mature Christian not only knows, but is also able to apply what he knows. I know, I'm sure, that lots of you as parents to your kids have used the expression that I often used, you know, maybe your kid is doing something they shouldn't do, and you say, you know better than that. Right? Isn't that an expression we use to our kids? We know that they know that they shouldn't be doing that. So, 
knowledge is there. They're aware of what proper behavior is supposed to be. But they're not doing what they know they're supposed to do. You know better than that. So what we what we say to our what we are then suggesting to our kids is it's one thing to know to do the right thing, it's another thing to do it. Same thing for Christians. You you've got to know, and he was talking about that in this part of the text. But he said and a babe doesn't know what he's supposed to know. A full grown person does know. And a full grown person not only knows, but is able to put into practice the things that he knows. Christian, are you doing that? Uh, or would would it be said of us spiritually, you know better than that. You know to do better than that. In regards to the way we dress, the way we act, the way we talk, the kind of entertainment things that we engage in, TV and movies and so forth, it's, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. Do you know better, but you're not doing better? Again, I would suggest to you that if that's the case, then maturity hasn't arrived yet because the mature Christian is one who knows and properly applies the things in God's Word. What's another sign of this maturity? The Scriptures use the word perfect. We would probably more accurately use the word maturity. What's the sign of a mature Christian? Well, a a mature Christian is one who is steadfast in service to the Lord. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. You know this text, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 11. It says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I want you to notice some key words in that text that relate to our discussion this morning. Notice he talked about the perfecting of the saints. He talked about a perfect man, and he talked about growing up into him. Well, that would all be the idea of this maturity that we're describing. Now, in regards to one who is being perfected, who is reaching that mature state, who has grown up or matured spiritually, what what is the indicator here? Well, he says, we be no more children. So we've, we've grown past the early stages of Christianity. We're now going on to be perfect or mature Christians. What does that involve? Not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And so the mature Christian uh, has taken advantage of what Paul is describing there. God put into place in the church things that would accomplish our spiritual maturity. And we're not talking about sinless perfection, but spiritual maturity. And the sign of spiritual maturity in this text uh, is the idea of Dependability. You're not a person who can be easily swayed. You're not a person who runs hot and cold. I think all of us can uh, probably relate to the idea of some Christians who are on again, off again. Sometimes they appear to be very enthusiastic and excited about serving God. At other times they seem like they've almost practically given up. They, and we use the expression, they run hot and cold. 
There are some people who are just so easily disturbed. They get shook up. They get offended. They got they get thrown off course. Uh, I want to tell you something. A mature Christian isn't like that. A mature Christian is going to keep on keeping on no matter what. You are not going to be able to derail a mature Christian from doing his service to God. Because he's now again get the get the idea here in this text. Paul is saying God put into place elements which would accomplish the if taken advantage of would accomplish the result of bringing Christians to maturity. And Christians who have been brought to maturity are no longer tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You're not unstable. You're not the kind of person who will be going this way at one moment and another way at another time. Uh, something's not going to come along and shake up your faith. Someone's not going to come along and get you going in a different direction. You're steady. You're dependable. You're reliable. You're well-grounded because you have been uh, one who allowed that maturing process to take place in your life. And so, I want to suggest to you that a perfect Christian is one who is steadfast in his service to the Lord. Can't be shaken up. Not going to be thrown off course. He's going to keep on keeping on. A mature Christian is one who is able to control his tongue. You know, this, to me, this seems like it almost ought to go without saying. That a mature Christian is one who's not going to have trouble controlling his tongue. But controlling the tongue is really a hard thing, right? In James chapter 3, beginning verse 2, James says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, notice the same is a perfect man. Well, there's our idea of perfect again. If a man offend not word, the same as a perfect man, and able uh, to bridle, able also to bridle the whole body. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. This is a familiar text to us, but it really suggests a high standard of maturity. You really have attained to a mature state if you're able to control your tongue. Uh, and, and so that's a test for us. Are we able to do that? Are, are we able to control our tongue in all kinds of situations that we might find ourselves in? If I'm out there in the world... If I'm around people who, who don't share my same values as a Christian, do I let my guard down? Do I say things that I shouldn't say? Uh, use words I shouldn't wor- use? Tell jokes I shouldn't tell? If I'm out with people in the world, I talk that way. But when I'm around fellow Christians, I talk a different way. That's not mature, is it? That's not a mature person. Uh, when I'm with my family... Uh, uh, do I lose my temper? Do I, do I say angry words, hateful things? Or do I control my tongue? You know, uh, am, am, I, am I a mature Christian who's careful how he talks all the time, not just some of the time? Um, that's really what James is suggesting here, that if I can control that tongue, I've reached a high state of spiritual maturity. I think uh, it's interesting here when he says, the tongue can no man tame. Some people might take from that the idea that, well, 
it's a, it's a lost cause. You're never going to be able to control your tongue. Now, he didn't say no man can control his tongue. He said no man can tame the tongue. There's a difference. You know, a tame animal can be trusted. You don't have to watch it anymore. You can turn your back on a tame animal and it won't hurt you. But the tongue is not, it, tongue is like an animal that can't be tamed, like a lion or a tiger. You might be able to control that lion or tiger. You know, the, the lion tamer in the circus, he could, he could control that lion or that tiger, but he better not turn his back on it. He's got to be vigilant all the time because you can't, you can't tame a lion or a tiger. You can control him, but you can't tame him. That's what James is saying here. You can't tame your tongue. You're never going to be able to let down your guard. You're going to have to be watching all the time. And a mature Christian does. That's the point. A mature Christian is working constantly to be in control of his tongue. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. James says it's a high bar. It's a very significant sign of whether or not you're mature spiritually if you control your tongue. A mature Christian, a perfect Christian in that sense, is able to love even his enemies. What, is a, what does an immature person do? What does a babe do? Well, such a person hates those who cross him. You cross me, man, I'll get even with you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my vengeance. If you did me wrong, I'm going to get even with you one way or another. Or maybe if I don't seek to get vengeance, at least I'm going to hold a grudge against you. Uh, it may seem like a quite a trivial thing, but I'm telling you, I'm upset about that and I'm not getting over it. And I'm going to carry a grudge and I'm going to treat you differently because of what you did. It's not going to be the same. You're going to pay a price for what you did to me. I'll tell you that for sure. Does that sound like a mature Christian? That's not mature, right? That's a babe. That's an, that's an immature person who would say things like that. Now get this, we're not talking about people in the world because we know people in the world act that way. We're talking about some Christians who have not matured. And so they carry grudges and they seek vengeance. They try to get even and there's enmity and strife. The Scriptures talk about that. The solution to that is we grow up. We mature. We don't act that way. In Philippians, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning verse 43, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Notice, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Notice, be ye therefore perfect, there's our word again, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's one of the verses we started out with. We're not going to be sinlessly perfect like God, but we're to be spiritually mature, imitating our Father which is in heaven. And the, and the test in this text is, am I able to treat even my enemies in a proper way? I'm not going to be out here trying to get even. I'm not seeking vengeance. I'm not carrying grudges. I'm not going to be envious or spiteful or hateful. I'm going to try to be like my Father in heaven who can, who can bless the evil and the good. He sends His reign on the just and the unjust. I need to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect in this sense. And so a perfect or mature Christian 
is one who's able to even love his enemies. Finally, let me suggest to you that a mature Christian is still growing. A mature Christian does not imagine himself to have made it already. A mature Christian is not one who sort of sits back and relaxes and says, I've done enough now, I don't have to do any more. That's not the kind of Christian God wants, and that's not a sign of maturity, by the way. Anybody who would think, I have done enough already and I can let down and stop and relax, that person definitely doesn't have it figured out, does he? He's definitely not mature, because a mature Christian would know better than that. To, to think, I have attained to as high a level as I need. That's not right. Notice in Philippians chapter 3, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, Philippians 3, beginning verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. Well, there's that word again. And I think we can really substitute very well here the idea of mature. Let everyone who has a mature outlook on things have this mind. Let every mature person be thus minded. Well, what was the thus mindedness that he's encouraging? The idea that I'm not there yet. I have not yet apprehended. I've got to keep pressing for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, Christ Jesus. And so, as a mature Christian, you would know, I've still got growing to do. I've, I've still got improvements to make. And we need to be doing that. The babe... The immature person thinks that he has arrived and, and he doesn't need to do anymore. Uh, in fact, typically a babe is not even open. An immature Christian is not even open to the idea he could be wrong or, and, and is totally unwilling to receive any kind of instruction. But a mature Christian is, is humble, just like Paul expresses in this text. A mature Christian is humble. He desires to keep growing, to be better. Uh, to do more to bring honor and glory to God. That certainly was descriptive of Paul, and that's the way that we need to be. That, that almost seems like a, a self-contradictory statement, but it's not when we understand it in the sense that it's described here. He's mature, but he knows he's still got room to grow. So, here are some indicators. I'm not suggesting necessarily that these are all of the indicators of spiritual maturity, but I think definitely these things are involved. We're to be perfect. You can't, the, the Lord won't accept that excuse. Well, nobody's perfect. You can't expect me to be perfect. That's, that's just a, a lame excuse, isn't it? Whenever it's offered, it's typically a lame excuse. It certainly is a lame excuse when it comes to spiritual things. We are expected to be perfect, or more accurately, maybe we're expected to be mature in Christ. That means knowing and applying His Word, keep on keeping on, not easily distracted, knocked off course, controlling your tongue, loving even your enemies, still growing. Important signs of spiritual maturity. I hope you'll agree. Back to the text that we started with, Hebrews 6, verse 1. Let us go on unto perfection. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Our lesson this morning has been directed toward those of us who are Christians already. And so... As we're about to sing this song of invitation, let me address those of us who are Christians already. Are you growing? Are you maturing? Uh, if not, then there's a problem that needs to be fixed right away. 
if you don't if if you don't see yourself getting stronger in Christ, if you if you can't compare yourself now to a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, if you don't see yourself as a stronger Christian now than you were then, then you're not doing what all these verses suggest we need to be doing. Growing up in Christ, becoming perfect or mature Christians. If there's a problem in your life that needs to be solved, if you need the prayers of the saints, if you need to make confession of public sin in your life, if there's anything we can do in that sense, let us know. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If you're not yet a Christian, you need to start on that journey of serving the Lord in this life in order to have eternity in heaven. If you're not a Christian, that simple gospel plan of salvation is hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.